0: hey and welcome back to the coffee trading academy podcast where we delve into the fascinating world of coffee with some of the greatest minds in the industry today we are extremely fortunate to have the renowned anna wilkes of nkg the neumann coffee group anna has over two decades of experience as a coffee market researcher with much of that experience at neumann one of the top coffee trading firms in the world she is currently the head of research at the nkg statistical unit but she also has the unique experience of having worked as a coffee trader for nearly a decade. With these two experiences of trading and research combined, Anna possesses a deep understanding of the industry's intricacies, unparalleled insight into the market, and most importantly, the rare ability to be able to communicate these complex concepts effectively. Join us as we explore today's essential topics, from the pervasive issue of coffee farmer poverty, to the robusta markets rally, to historical highs. We discuss the pervasive inversion and certified stocks crisis in Arabica, her expectations for the future in that market, and we conclude with the human qualities of what it takes to succeed in the world of coffee trading and research. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Anna Wilkes. Before we get started, I don't want to mischaracterize this here, but I think we have a friend in common, which is is Neil. Did you you used to work with Neil at one point, or did, did you...
1: Yeah, Neil was my first boss ever. Ah, so, okay. Yeah.
0: I thought so. Okay, I wanted to yeah. make sure I didn't want to, to mischaracterize that, but um, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. He he was a had been a mentor to me as well, and a and a good friend, uh, great guy. So that's he. he I know he Likewise. he speaks very highly of you.
1: Oh. That's very nice, and of you. So oh,
0: thanks. <laughs> well, uh, that might be uh, my my good awkward segue into uh, talking about your your background. Um, so obviously, you come very highly recommended. You're very well known in the industry. Um, I've I've heard you speak uh, on 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 different occasions. I think most recently was it with the uh, with the the next gen uh, or the NCA. Um, the SCTA,
1: yeah, yeah. SCTA. The Swiss uh, yeah, Coffee Association.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, and, uh, so you, you always, the thing that struck me was I said to, I think I might even have emailed you about this, but I was like, wow, she, she takes these very complex topics and makes them sound so simple and easy to understand, <laughs> which is a, a rare skill in our business. But maybe you can, can talk a little bit about your background, how you got into coffee and kind of what led you to the role that you have today.
1: Sure. Um, So my first job, as I mentioned, uh, was was actually um, in the Neumann group as a research analyst. So straight out of university, that was my my first job here in London. And I was working for Neil. Um, And I think I had the best possible start because I was, uh, A, working for a a very kind of large and very well kind of, uh, you know, structured and well... um, kind of uh distributed kind of coffee company that that kind of knows a lot about coffee and a lot about uh coffee all over um and at the same time um I was I was also kind of learning from you know somebody who's extremely um competent and was a kind of uh, great opportunity to just really understand Um, You know, all about coffee, but also, you know, in general about about how that fits into wider kind of commodity context Mm. as well. So I did have the best possible start. So um, I was originally in research uh, for the first uh, four or five years of my career. Mm. And then I moved into a a commercial role uh, with a with a at the time, a cocoa trading company that that had started up uh, a new kind of coffee division. And so uh, i I took on a, a commercial role, and I was there for for nine years. Um, the commercial um, role does that mean you were you were trading? Yeah, yeah, yeah so so yeah, we really um kind of helping to set up the coffee division from scratch, which is again a huge uh, learning opportunity and uh, an opportunity sure. to work with some incredible um professionals in the in the coffee business as well and then some. Um, helping to kind of recruit and train some at the time young professionals who've become, you know, uh, very accomplished uh, professionals now as well in the business, uh, and right. who who uh, I had a great time uh, working with. So that was for for about nine years, and then um, I just decided to, to to pivot back to research. Um, and and the Neumann group—it was, was around about the time and the Neumann group were looking as well for for somebody to head up research again—and um, uh, so that that kind of suited me. And and I've always, um, you know, always enjoyed working for the Neumann group, uh, and was very very happy to come back uh, into 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 the Neumann group, but also happy to come back into into research after a, a sort of commercial uh, trading role for for nine years. And and I've been doing this particular role for for 10 years almost so yeah it's gone quick Mm.
0: awesome so um so now you're back at the neumann group what's your official title and are you head of coffee research or head of research or what well the neumann
1: group is a a purely a a coffee uh trading business a coffee service group and so uh, i am head of research but essentially that means coffee research Uh, but these days i think if you want to. Do coffee research well, increasingly you have to know a lot about, you know, a lot of other things, Um, most recently, of course, having to really understand much more about logistics than we ever had before with the logistics crisis, Um, of course, being much more attuned to what's happening with climate um, has been very important. And then, I think more recently as well, just just the the impact that the wider macroeconomy is having on coffee means you just have to keep on top of you know all of those things um, to really understand what's going on in coffee specifically
0: yeah, I know it was something I was sort of disappointed to have to learn was uh, <laughs> Federal Reserve speak and uh, trying to understand yeah. the the all of the politics and the the um uh economics behind currency decision making and and how the, i'm still terrible at forecasting currencies but uh it's such an important part of uh i guess how commodities in general are priced and and coffee uh as well so yeah, yeah totally feel you on on that <laughs> um so you did 10 years um in research most recently and then nine years um in more of an active trading role um and then you had uh, a earlier research role before that as well
1: yeah
0: um did you know you wanted to get into commodities from university uh did you have like hey i studied economics and like this is something exciting or did you kind of fall into it in some way
1: um so i studied quite a broad degree um so it was economics politics and philosophy so um generally I quite like the kind of broader kind of uh you know approach uh I quite like that in my degree and then I was looking for um a job I moved around quite a lot when I was younger and after university I came here to the UK for university and after that I just wanted to stay put for a bit and stay in the UK mm. I had lots of friends moving to London so I decided to start looking around for a job and and I think um, the fact that I'm I'm actually Brazilian. Uh so oh. I speak Portuguese. Um and uh so that was a kind of ob- obvious uh, fit, but also I just liked the idea. And and at the time, you know, they were recruiting, the Neumann group was recruiting for a, a an assistant um at the time. And, and I think I what appealed to me was was partly the connection to, to Brazil and partly it was the also the quite broad nature of everything that you have to kind of factor in with with coffee in terms of the huge uh, diversity of supply, although obviously it's not as diverse as it used to be, um, but uh, but also just understanding a lot about, you know, the politics. I mean, I think just when I first came in, you know, there was a coup in Ivory Coast, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then we had, um, you know, dollar, sort of dollar-pound prices. You know, there was just a huge amount of um, political and economic uh, things to... to to try to um, sort of patch together and that appealed to me because and also I think the people because uh, it is the sort of business where you know there's people from all over and lots of people have I think much like yourself and you come from one place you've lived somewhere else but you've also spent time here and people speaking different languages and so on and all of that appealed to me Um,
0: yeah you you hit on a couple of really cool things I mean one of them is uh, the sort of excitement of coffee I guess or at least that's the way I always felt about it um you know maybe coffee people we just like to toot our own horns and and talk about how great coffee is but um but it really like you said it has aspects of so many different things it's got the sensory aspect of like it's a real tangible product that people want and need and enjoy, but it's got all, you know, it's connected to global uh, currency markets, it's connected to the politics and the governments and, you know, uh, agriculture um, and, and you know, the futures and, you know, financial markets. Um, so it, it really is so all-encompassing. I think, you know, maybe people from the outside don't necessarily understand all of that. But, you know, you say, oh, I'm in coffee and they say, oh, do you, do you know Starbucks or whatever? <laughs> um, <laughs> But the other thing you mentioned that I think is, is really a, a kind of a universal is the people. And um, I think that's one thing that um, almost everybody I know in coffee mentions is that they love being a coffee person and they love, you know, being with other coffee people.
1: Yeah, I think as well, um, what what I one of the aspects of my job that I really like on the research side is the opportunity to travel to very remote producing areas, you know, and really see how people live um, outside of big cities, outside of, you know, analyzing lots of data is really interesting as well. But um, traveling around, you know, Dak, Dak Lak, or, you know, and stopping mm. and talking to farmers or traveling in, in the interior of Brazil, which is my own country, but it's a part of the country mm. that not many people even in Brazil really know that well um and just understanding a bit more about you know uh the 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 way you know as you say it's a very very tangible product it's produced by so many farmers out there and it's sort of about you know that's one of the the parts that I really enjoy as well as that kind of tangibility and and and, uh, being able to sort Mm -hmm. of see other people's very different lives sort of up close
0: yeah it's you know it's funny the um speaking of the different types of people you encounter and, and sort of the, the global nature of coffee um, so I, I did the origin work in india and uganda um, and it, those two countries in particular but it's true of many different countries in the world i remember thinking when i was in india i was like india is one of those few countries where people don't dress in western clothes normally you know like it, western dress has kind of become ubiquitous around the world whether you're in Japan or France or you know um, parts of Africa, people always, you know they wear t-shirts and jeans or whatever. Um, but India is one of those countries; where they have a very unique uh, clothing style. And I remember thinking that was uh, something very sort of unusual. It was a new experience for me. And then in Uganda, you know, that going to the the bush in Uganda was really uh, kind of enlightening. Where you know, I remember seeing someone. Um, who had a their shower in their backyard was a series of like bamboo trees basically making a circle, and they had this the shower thing in there and I was like, wow, there's there's so few places in the world left, it seems that feel like this um different from you know where I grew up in New York, you know <laughs> um and I and to your point about Brazil, I mean I guess Brazil still has some of the most i don't know if they grow coffee there i don't think they do but most remote tribes and villages and stuff in the world right
1: yeah yeah absolutely um but i think as well it's just it's just very interesting when you do go to these extremely remote places at at the end of the day you know the the price of coffee is still a very important metric uh for those people and it and it really you know it's 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 Really about in many ways, kind of life or death for them, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's it's really, you know, one of the things I think we've had recently is we obviously had the frosts in Brazil and the, and a huge rally in prices, right? Um, and you know this this idea that of course because we've got higher prices, we will probably have, you know, uh, much better off farmers out there. But ultimately, mm-hmm. if you uh, if you're in Uganda or Indonesia and you're producing half a ton per hectare you know, a kind of 50% increase in the price isn't going to make that much difference to you, um, that much mm-hmm. difference to your life. And I think, you know, one of the things that you you sort of, you know, is, is I think has got really worse since I've started in my 25-year career in coffee is that, uh, you know, we still have a huge number of the world's coffee farmers sort of below the poverty line. Mm. Uh, I think there was a study not that long ago that that said that something like 40 something percent of of the world's coffee farmers were still um, had a, a, an income below the poverty line, uh, yeah. which I think that's actually it got worse uh, since since the the, the the late 90s. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's yeah, it's it's the juxtaposition of that versus, you know, uh, the big screens <laughs> and the big spreadsheets yeah. and the big data. I think that is uh, that's that's. I think what's interesting about coffee, but hopefully as well, it's, it's, it's something that, that, you know um, we have to sort of address long-term if we, if we want, you know, we, we, we say you you talked about people's way people dress. I think, I think the coffee culture and that kind of cafe culture, I mean, different countries have, have taken their own kind of interpretation of that, but it's, it's definitely the case today that we have a much more widespread culture of of coffee drinking um it seems to be attractive especially to younger people and so on and and uh we we do need to have a look at you know the supply side if if we mm-hmm. want that momentum to be able to, to to continue i think
0: yeah i mean it's it you bring up a lot of interesting uh topics and and it's i can see the the philosophy background uh coming out <laughs> um, where uh, I, which I, I, I find fascinating, by the way, um, I, I studied uh, government in school, um, which is basically you know, politics and philosophy and a little bit of economics. Um, and I I've, so I, I I think your background is very cool. I I, um, uh, I have similar interests, and um, you know, I probably have an unpopular opinion on on this topic, and so I'd be interested to to hear what what you think. Um, and then, and then we do have to talk about actual supply and demand. I think, yeah. <laughs> but I, I find this stuff so fascinating, and, um, and clearly you're well versed in it. Um, I wrote a paper uh, not long ago about uh, why coffee farmers are poor, and um, my conclusion is basically that y- you have a juxtaposition, or or maybe an intersection is a better word, of uh, the necessary climate to grow coffee. And uh, tropical underdevelopment, uh, where basically, if you look in a, a band of, uh, around the world of the tropics, um, you basically have a high concentration of poverty. And I think what what it, the the problem is that um, if you are live in a country, countries that uh, exist in the tropics face steep hurdles to industrialization and uh, economic development so there is this inherent sort of entrenched poverty uh in this band you know if you think about things like roads right so important and essential for economic development and when i was living in uganda the roads would be washed out constantly you know and in canada that's not a factor right you know that's not you know you build a road it just sticks around Um, it's not entirely true but but there's an economic added economic cost in the tropics you know that that has a uh, a compounding effect over time. And, um, and it just so happens that coffee can only be grown in the tropics and in particularly in difficult mountainous regions. So there is an inherent bias, I think there's a selection bias towards um, coffee farmers being from this, you know, inherently entrenched poverty regions. And the, and the other aspect of it, I think, is that um, uh, in general, subsistence farming, I think, is not a path to economic development in any sense. So we if you're looking at sort of larger trends, you, you look at, say, uh, um, countries like the US or, or, or um, the UK, um, and I suspect Brazil as well, um, as their economic development increases the percentage of the population that are rural farmers declines right so I think you've got this sort of difficult problem where the the way to economic development in these countries is not for the each farmer to make a little bit more money but probably to move from a society that is subsistence farming to industrial Um, but that's that's kind of my
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, if you look at the example of Vietnam, uh, they've made it work. Um, You know, on average, a Vietnamese farmer has just over a hectare, but they're producing on average two and a half to three tons per hectare. I mean, some are producing much more, but on average, uh, two and a half to, to three tons per hectare. Which is six times what a farmer, on average, say in Indonesia is producing. Mm. And if Vietnam is an example somewhere where you have essentially smallholders um, who are high-yield, high-input, high-yield kind of models. So, let's say in your um, kind of terminology, a more industrialized approach. It's not industrialized, but it's a it's a more intense uh, approach to farming. Um, but yet it's at the smallholder scale. Um, and I think they're an example of, um, you know, there's very particular characteristics of Vietnam that, that make that the case, you know. Um, but I think it's an example of one that, that works that could be copied uh, to some degree in other countries. Um, and then I think if you, even if you look at Brazil, I think today, um, you know, Agribusiness in Brazil is one of the biggest uh, earners, you know, Agribusiness has done incredibly well through a tough economic period in Brazil. Um, you know, coffee's a part of that. And it's, and, you know, people are exciting and entrepreneurial and there's young people involved. So even in, you know, bigger producers, um, there's a kind of buzz about about producing coffee that, um, you know, that, that, could be emulated elsewhere and in a way needs to be emulated elsewhere whether whether at big scale like like you have in brazil though of course we also have lots of smaller farmers in brazil or or at the smallholder level you know obviously vietnam is is the best example
0: yeah it's funny people think of brazil as these massive farms and there are plenty of those but i i believe that the vast majority of farmers in brazil are are smallholders and I think it's uh, two hectares or less or something like that. Um,
1: yeah, not the majority, but certainly there are small farmers. I mean, if you go a, a, like 10 hectares or less, it's certainly in terms of the proportion of farms, mm-hmm. it's a higher proportion. In terms of the proportion of production, it's, of course, a smaller a smaller, a smaller yeah. piece. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, no, I mean, those are some some interesting points there. Um, and I, I think it's, it's interesting you mentioned that Brazil is – a place where young people are excited about it because I know in in Central America it seems like there's a struggle to get young people to to stay on the farm and to, to manage their farms and they're all kind of moving off to the city. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: and and out of the country as well.
0: Yeah, um, exactly.
1: Yeah, I think I think the. I mean, to, to to take this discussion right into the supply demand. You know, I think a lot of the 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 let's say before uh, the pandemic you know we we were having lots of conversations about where is the supply going to come from mm. to feed this you know growing demand you know which 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 was a very strong linear trend whether you went back 5 10 30 40 years uh, you know it was a linear kind of 2 per, two something percent uptrend and we were having those discussions and then we had the pandemic and we had the first fall in demand you know for, for for a long long time right um but i don't think that that's solved anything it's just given us some breathing room to ponder these things uh which which we haven't pondered and so now i think some of these questions are are coming back um but but to go back to to central america say i think the what's becoming really clear now is that that period of very low prices in 2018 2019 Absolutely decimated coffee production mm. um, in that region. Uh, what it did is it put a, you know, put a complete stop to the the momentum of the renovation after the Roya crisis that was in motion, um, and it put a huge, you know, dent in in that process. And I think what we've what we've proved, you know, over the last eighteen months or so, almost two years, is that you know higher prices. Um, isn't going to bring that production back. You know, we've we mm. we had some, um you know, very kind of significant, almost if you like, irreversible, uh, you know, changes, socioeconomic, kind of structural changes that that mean that you know higher prices, higher prices are not a panacea for mm. for all the ills of of that low price period that we had. So, I think that that's not a discussion that's coming to the fore now because you know, we've had, a, because of the tight mild situation, we've had demand destruction in miles, you know, because we've had very high uh, mild prices through the differentials and the, 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 the exchange prices. Um, so we have destroyed some of that demand, mm. um, you know, so that has happened and that's given. So right now, of course, we're in a situation where we're not worried about, or that worried about the supply in the very short term, of washed coffees, but uh but I don't think it's a question that's gonna go away. You know, how are we going to 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 you know to service that underlying demand, you know, in the medium term? I think mm-hmm. it's a concern and it's come back.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you, you mentioned some important things there. Demand is one, of course, where um I think is someone with your expertise is really, you know, I really value your opinion here because. It's in a lot of ways, it's hard to see demand, right? It's hard to, to track it um, and really to follow it. Yeah. Um, but uh, another thing you mentioned that I think is worth just highlighting for a second here is the, the prices. Now, high prices are not a panacea. And, um, and that, you know, one of the, the, my favorite charts is looking at a 50 year chart of coffee. And if you look at a 50 year chart of coffee, is I'm such a geek, I'm taught my favorite charts, but uh, it looks like a, an EKG, right? It's like an up, a down, an up, a down, an up, and it looks like a band, but if you if you actually control for inflation, it's really not a band, it's more like no. a downtrend.
1: Yeah, um,
0: so when we talk about, and we haven't had three dollar coffee for a while here, not since I, I first started, um, you know, 13 years ago, uh, and Three dollar coffee in 2010 is not the same as three dollar coffee in 1975
1: absolutely not yeah so um
0: we you know in a in a way it's really been to, to just ever diminishing prices i guess for coffee
1: yeah, and, and going back to that point, when I first started coffee in 1998, so 99, we had prices, you know, 2002 was the low, or we had uh, New York at 42 cents. Mm. Um, but we did spend a long time at a dollar at that stage, um, you know, but a dollar in, in 2002 and a dollar in 2018, mm. um, quite, quite different, you know, to, back to your point in terms of how much of production that could cover. Um, of the production costs sorry, that that could cover. Um, and how much the, the the farmer could actually buy uh, mm. with with that money because I think one of the the problems um, so when we had those low prices, we also had currency devaluations in Brazil and in Colombia, mm. um, which to some extent, you know, protected them from the the real the, the, the very lows, let's say um of that period Uh, but for the vast majority of Central American producers you know every dollar that the the futures market fell was another dollar you know uh that that they felt Mm. the price go down um for them so you know that 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 really meant that that region got hit very very hard
0: yeah I I bet and um and I guess to your point that causes supply destruction right um, and disincentivizes you know some of the the coffees that you know are very popular and that we all you know want to to stick around and and to continue. Um, now, pivoting um, but staying on the topic of price here um, is, you know, yes, the the overall price is, you know, coffees a world of, you know, you can't say anything too simply, right? Prices are fairly high here at 180 cents, but as we just discussed, in the broader context, that's, that's really not that high, um, and it's, you know with inflation and everything. But one thing that to me, in my coffee lifetime is unprecedented is the inversion, um, in, in the intensity and in the duration of the, the inversion. Um, you know, in Robusta, that's a whole different story. You get, you know, inversions for different things there. Um, but in Arabica, we've had an inversion for just a very long time. And even, you know, in 2010, I think even in, in the, um, in, in some of the, when the search stocks went back, uh, this must've been right around the time that you first started, I guess, when search stocks went down below, you know, a thousand bags or whatever. Um, the inversion didn't last this long, did it what do you, what do you see as the the dynamics that's that's contributing to such an intense and such a prolonged inversion and and do you see that resolving?
1: Well, I think at that time it it was almost more of a technical issue. I think we saw a rebuild in the certified inventory relatively quickly. but here, what we have essentially, this is a washed Arabica contract, right? The deliverable base of this contract is washed Arabicas. Mm-hmm. And we have had an extremely tight situation in washed Arabicas, um, you know, for the last, definitely for, well, we were already, we we had a problem before, we had a huge washed Arabica problem before the pandemic. And as I said, we, we got a little bit of breathing room. Um, but but not sufficient because uh, because washed arabica production hasn't recovered um, and we're still in that process of of destroying enough demand to leave some sort of surplus for 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 grading. Um, you know, we've obviously seen a big decline in the wash differentials, but mm-hmm. I think I, I think you have to go back to 2012 um, to see like the last time that Colombia was at 30 over. You know, in the in the past, so in terms of, yes, we've come down a lot, a long way from where we were, but, but we're still relatively high. And of course, even Honduras are well, you know, still in plus differentials and, and well above tenable parity. So the only, um, kind of, uh, immediate relief that we can see on the horizon is the new Brazil crop and, and the semi-washed, uh, portion of that crop that can come, to replenish stocks, but we have to wait. That crop is, you know, just starts to be harvested. Mm-hmm. We have to wait until that becomes um, available to be to be shipped and, and shipped and arrived and graded and so on. And, and so we're really looking, you know, quite a few months further out before we see a replenishment of that stock. Um, and so in the meantime, I think it's very difficult for, for the for the structure, particularly the nearby structure to really move um, because we have to see see that materialize. Um, and in the meantime of course, we have uh, you know those stocks are coming down. those, those certified stocks keep de- you know keep coming down slowly. And we, we had of course that period last September where we had the, the the big drawdowns in the certifieds and you know the nearby spreads going to 10 over. Um, but it turned out that, you know, quite a lot of that coffee got put back on for, for regrading. So that coffee, you know, had had been technically withdrawn, but not physically withdrawn. Right. Um, whereas I think we're in a different scenario now where, you know, every bag of coffee coming off the certified stock is is physically leaving the warehouse to to be roasted. So, you know, it, the, the prospect really is that, you know, we are going to be, you know, um, sort of constantly drawing down. Um, and actually, we've had a slight acceleration of that rate in the last uh, couple of months. But yeah, so it's, it, you know, the, the question is, you know, at what point do we do we start to see a turnaround? Not for some months, and we're going lower. Um, you know, we're going lower until then.
0: So you see the, the consumption of the certified stocks now is sort of genuine consumption, because that, that had been kind of my my thought too. I was when I saw this starts coming down before um, for, you know, when we got down below 500,000 bags um, previously, um, I was like, okay, well, you know, there's there's strong demand. There's this problem with uh, washed coffees. Differentials are high. It makes sense. People are consuming this. Freight was high for a long time. That uh, situation has yeah. changed. But now I'm like, okay, well, but freight is back to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, the differentials are collapsing uh, rapidly. Uh, we have fresh coffees coming in from uh, Brazil. And from what I'm hearing in, in Central America, um, there's and Colombia as well as there's unsold coffees and people, you know, exporters sort of desperate to sell. Um, and so I had been thinking wrongly at this point <laughs> that starting in June, OK, that demand for uh, these certified stocks is going to diminish And then we should start see a a rebuild in the stocks, and 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 um, and and that uh, you know the last time we had a major build in the certs came from Brazil, right? Uh, We had that you know million bags of semi-washed or whatever. Now very different crop this year than than at that time, but it it did seem like okay. Here's all the pieces why that cert stock uh, draw is gonna is gonna slow down, and then we're gonna see that that turnaround. Um, and the other thing I thought was like, okay, well, last time that wasn't real consumption. I thought it was, but they took it off. And then to your point, they just kind of retendered it, but, but you think that that regraded. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Sorry. regraded. Yeah. But you think that that is, is not the same thing going on right now.
1: Well, I think, I think the, the, the biggest drawdown right now are the Brazils. Um, and we've had a situation for Brazil coffees, you know in the last few months where brazil exports have been low you know in seasonal terms like much lower than the than, than normal i think in april we had the lowest brazil export levels for april for 10 years um so there was clearly a, a short-term issue mm. uh, with with supply from brazil um you know with whether that was because of price or or actual supply is a different mm question but but we have we have had very low exports out of Brazil and we have an inverted market which naturally requires you know uh traders to to liquidate stocks uh destination which are the most expensive to carry um and I think you know that it's not necessarily that this first of all this pace is not that strong you know we're not talking about hundreds of thousands of bags sure. um and also just because it's drawing down today doesn't mean it was sold today you know it might have been sold six weeks ago or two months ago um you know to to cover um demand when you know differentials i mean when the differential picture was maybe a bit different mm. um so but i think um clearly what's coming off the most is uh, are those brazils and i i think that quite a lot of those brazils you know, were previously committed um, to be sold um, as indeed, you know, I think a lot of the non-certified Brazils were committed on the spot, were committed to to be sold,
0: mm.
1: uh, which is a natural, um, you know, a, a natural kind of consequence of, of the inversion. Um, but are you expecting, because you were saying about rebuild, but would you expect, um, you know, for, for me, the rebuild from washed coffees can only really occur if you start to see, some of those coffees trading somewhere near to tenderable parity, and just very far away from that still,
0: yeah, I mean, I think that's that's fair, and tenderable parity is one of those things that I think always I find of dubious value <laughs> yeah. i you know i I when I was trading in India, I remember there was a point when coffees were Indian robustas were tenderable, and we um and I, you know, I think that was a, a thought that people were talking about at that time in the country was, hey, we should we should ship to the board, you know. Um, and I remember different, you know, different people talking about that and um and and doing the math for it and all that. And so, you know, I, I've always been, you know, tracking, you know, what is the cost of, of tenderable parity and you know, how does it make sense? But it seems like the certified stocks uh rise and fall almost. Irrespective of, of what tenderable parity is to some point. And I think one of the reasons why that I've been told is um financing. And uh, you know, okay, we we want it, you know, you'll see country companies um, you know, uh certify some of their coffee because then it's collateral for for loans or 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 whatever for the credit that they need. Um, and then to your to your point earlier, we see coffee's come off and then getting recertified or re uh graded or whatever um so i feel like it's I, I don't know is when when we see big bills in certified stocks is it because a lot of coffee's being shipped to the board or is it is it more a matter of just they want that certified coffee on the books and is there think an incentive i it's more the
1: former I, I think it's more the former i mean when we had the build in the uh, brazils uh, back in december 2020 january 2021 um you know that there was a window where you could buy um the the, the relevant you know certifiable brazil qualities um at or very close to tenable parity mm. equally you know we've seen some Vietnamese gradings in May, you know, and that seems crazy when Vietnam's trading at, you know, 200 for FOB. But, you know, six months ago, there were windows where you could have bought coffee at Turnable Parity because we had discounted differentials, so triple digit discounts, and we had very cheap freights. So mm. there have, you know, the, that there are, there have been windows uh, that have allowed people to to do that trade to lock that trade in, let's say. Um, and so there have to be windows for, you know, to, to make that viable again for, for the Arabica certifieds. Mm. Um, and I it's very hard, even though differentials for washed coffees have come down, it's hard to see, uh, you know, where that's gonna come from, from a value perspective, uh, if not from Brazil down the line.
0: Well, I think Brazil is the main one. I mean, we're already seeing, at least in the last, differentials I looked at uh you know most of their coffees are at a discount and even I think some of the semi-washed going the forward yeah. ones were were at a discount um yeah. so i mean that's close right and um so that's that's one factor and then with the centrals uh, you know i'm not exactly sure how it will work um but what i've been told is by exporters is that they think coffee is going to be shipped to the board. Um, that they, there is excess stock that they want to get rid of, and that that's what they're thinking is gonna gonna happen. Um now that I'm assuming that time frame is closer to the next crop. Um now I don't, you know, I this is I need to actually, I'm a numbers guy, so I need to actually do the math on this and not just talk about feelings here. Uh, but <laughs> my suspicion, my thesis is that as we get closer to the next crop that coffee is going to become past crop very soon and uh and that's going to uh your, your differentials are going to take a big haircut um if you don't have that sold um before the new crop comes in so at that point would it would it could it make sense to to get those coffees out and ship them and, and sell them to um on, at that point
1: yeah sure but i, I think <clears throat> i think we're not you know, even though we're we're in this season, I don't think that we have full clarity about the actual absolute volume that's there in Central America to be sold. Um, and I also don't think we have really, <clears throat> we can see, um, you know, there's, we can see the lie of the land on the demand side mm. either. Um, you know, you mentioned this earlier, um, <clears throat> demand is, is hard to measure, you're absolutely right. Uh, coffee demand. And, and I think some of the ways that we have always tried to systematically measure demand haven't been particularly helpful recently. So, you know, the 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 export pace um, and the import pace was have been to a large extent dictated by the logistics crisis and the kind of aftermath of the logistics crisis. So we had, you know, huge flow of coffee um, in 2022 after a very reduced flow of coffee 2021 and and now we have again a very reduced we're coming to a point where we're going to have you know a reduced flow of coffee uh in for the rest of 2023 in part because you know we shipped so much in in 2022 but also in part because i think as as has becoming increasingly clear that that kind of high level of 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 exports in 2022 was not only to catch up on what couldn't be uh, shipped in 21, but also was was to some extent building some pipeline. Mm. Um, you know, let's say just in case pipeline uh, um, in the system because of the crisis that you know very quickly now needs to be unravelled because of the you know difficult credit environment and the inversion. Um, you know, so we're kind. of, where there's so much noise in that trade data that it's become very hard to use it as a gauge. And I think it's very hard to know, you know, where is the real consumption right now? Um, And then equally, when we look at things like scanner data, for example, Mm -hmm. which we see reported now and again, I think, again, that's that's only part of the puzzle because we have, um, you know, A part of the puzzle that did very well during the pandemic uh, because it was people buying coffee you know in in supermarkets and drinking at home Um, and now that that's not doing very well you know to what extent is that um, you know a genuine decline in in the amount of volume of coffee that people are buying and drinking and to what extent is it a change of channel in the sense Mm -hmm. that people are consuming more out of the home or they're buying more online. Um, So, you know, how representative is that decline in the overall, Um, you know, it's it's very, very hard to see that the the, the real kind of underlying consumption and where is that at? And and going back to Central America, that's part of the picture um, in terms of, you know, how, how much demand have we destroyed really on the washed um, you know, what does it look like once the dust settles and all of this, mm. um, it's going to take a while for the dust to settle still, I think.
0: Yeah. And I think you know, now we've got another black hole now with the GCA stocks to make it even more difficult, yeah. uh, now missing. Um, and, you know, sticking with demand for a moment here, um, you, you mentioned about how difficult it is to kind of, you know, track what the real demand is and, uh, Coffee's one of the things that makes coffee interesting, I think, and people like us in, in demand uh, is that uh, it's not transparent, right? Like in in corn or cotton, you have the USDA or whatever, and those numbers are just kind of everyone knows that those are the numbers. But in coffee, there's it's very decentralized, right? Everyone kind of has their own supply and demand, and then even years after the fact, people might disagree uh, on what <laughs> what actually happened um and one of the things that makes coffee so difficult i, I often tell people that there is five s d's in coffee i mean you can make more of them if you want but at least there's total coffee you have arabica you have robusta you have naturals and you have and you have washed right and and all of these are fungible uh to some degree to the other um, for a price and one of the the ones that's really become central right now i think is robusta um robusta is at highs that, you know, I haven't seen uh, before Um, it's, I think they're at 12 year highs. I think, I think it, I don't think it's been this high as long as it's been a dollar contract um, if I'm not uh, mistaken. And the the thesis seems to be the working thesis is that Arabica prices were very high for very long. So we've shifted into Robusta and shifted demand into uh, Robusta. I am a little bit of an outlier. I've got a small surplus uh, for Robusta but I think other people have have deficits um, basically from demand. Is that your your understanding?
1: Um, I think that's part of the story. Um, so yeah, I think we have seen a, a shift to, to, to robusta to more robusta. Mm. Um, I think that maybe the, the the flows of coffee have exaggerated that in the sense that, for example, we've just seen you know robusta exports be very, very strong in the last 12 months, in part because you know, Vietnam was very restricted in what it could ship. And then it kind of, we got, uh, you know, um, exports kind of unleashed uh, from, from early 2020, 2022. Um, and a combination of factors have allowed, you know, a, a much bigger proportion of the current Vietnamese crop also to be shipped. Than would normally uh be the case you know there's right. a kind of front loading of that crop so part of the high implied share of robusta comes from the trade flows um you know but but i think uh underlying that for sure is you know is is a shift you know out of arabica into robusta as you would uh expect from from the the arbitrage the behavior of of the arbitrage and i think the The issue is that, um, you know, we don't have uh, a higher supply of robusta um, to absorb that in the sense that we do think this Vietnamese crop is a little bit smaller than the previous one, so if anything we've had a decline. we had a much better, uh, you know, a conilon crop in Brazil last year, and we've got a very, still a pretty good one this year. Mm-hmm. But we also have, you know, because of the local arbitrage, a very high usage locally. Um, and I think in the case of the conilon farmers, you know, we've got quite disciplined uh, farmers selling mm-hmm. um, because in if you look in, in reais per bag, you know, uh, farmers were getting much more, sort of a year ago, 18 months ago um, than than they were, you know, a few months ago. So so we just haven't seen uh, Conilon exports really coming out in any volume. Mm -hmm. I think we will see them, um, you know, accelerate, but we just haven't. So it's been just all about Vietnam and even Vietnam has front loaded its crop to kind of fulfill that demand. So we've created almost a kind of temporary... Um, well, we've created a, a, a temporary vacuum, if you like, where there's no robusta producer that's readily shipping a lot more coffee. Um, and then I think, you know, we have created very high underlying robusta usage that has to be at some point, you know, the the, the production has to, to catch up with that or it has to moderate. Um, so I think we do have, um, you know, a, a, an issue in robusta, deficit in robusta, um, both now and and, and upcoming um, that we have to resolve and I think the prices and the behavior of most robust differentials apart from the conylons, is kind of telling you that
0: yeah and and we also had Indonesia had a I think a, a poor crop as well
1: yeah yeah um, no
0: problems there so there's definitely definitely issues there um and uh, so I guess that might be a good way to to talk about expectations for the future here. And if we have time, we're we're running up on your time here, so I don't want to take up too much, but if we have time, I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, successful uh, qualities of a successful uh, analyst and and researcher and trader. Um, But the other thing I wanted to to touch on here uh, first is uh, I'd like to call my crystal ball here, my coffee market crystal ball. So if you have your, your crystal ball and you're comfortable uh, saying this, What do you think is going to happen uh, over the next six months with Robusta and with Arabica um, is, uh, you know, one of the, the the things I always my mantras has been coffee's forward looking. It's not. No one cares what's happening now. They care what's going to happen in, in six months. That isn't always true. I think right now we seem to be really trading the present. <laughs> but uh, but I could be could be wrong on that. What's your view? How do you see the next? six months in terms of prices and dynamics that are going to contribute to that.
1: Um, Well, I think on the the supply side, um, I I think it's, you know, we have created a, you know, a tight situation in in robustas, which I think we're going to see continuing um, by virtue of, you know, what we were talking about just now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's hard really to resolve that uh, quickly. Right. Um, it's also a worry that we we seem to be, uh, you know, high probability of an El Nino coming. Um, and that typically tends to impact uh, big, robusta producers, Vietnam, Indonesia. So that's also a concern because we need, you know, we need, need production to, to, to see, uh, you know, an upward trajectory. Mm-hmm. um so so that that definitely I think is a situation you know that will, will remain difficult um, on the arabica side I think that um you know the as I said we will maybe in six months have a little bit more clarity on the underlying kind of let's say real demand and and for arabica and and for robusta but um I think we are going to get a little bit more breathing room at least for Brazil now with this new crop which I think you know you can argue about the absolute numbers, but I think there's consensus that it's definitely better than last year's crop. And I think there's also consensus that it's a little bit better than people thought maybe a few months ago. So mm-hmm. we are gonna get uh, some breathing room on, on the supply side, which will hopefully allow the, the, the certifieds to, to replenish to a degree. Um, but, you know, we have had a situation where we've had net deficits, um, you know, we don't have a, a you know, there's, there's potential promise for the next Brazil crop, but we have a frost season and a flowering season right. and it's a early. lot to get through um, until then and, and, and all of the other uh, producing countries and, and the demand side of the equation as well. Um, so I think we can't focus too much on that. Um, you know, uh, there's there's a lot to get through before we even potentially get to that, mm. um, and it, we're just in a very finely balanced situation. Uh, I feel where there's very little wriggle room. Um, you know, on an aggregate level, there's very little wriggle room for any other shocks to the system. Um, so I, I feel we're gonna that's gonna that's gonna carry on.
0: Well. So it sounds like you're saying um, you think that there's a certain amount of tension. We're somewhat fairly valued at the moment. It sounds like you have maybe a slight bearish bias over the next six months, but it's not like, Hey, things are solved and everything's going to go back to 100 cent coffee at all. Um, Is that,
1: is that. Well, it might, it might. Yeah. I mean, you might see it in the, in the Arabica differentials, you know, continuing to, to, to that trend, but I, I certainly don't see the, the, the situation and improving particularly on the robust side and talking more mm-hmm. the differentials particularly right. um yeah
0: well appreciate that um it's a it's always you know it's always a, a, a big ask to say what do you think is going to happen with prices yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no one's happy with your answer regardless of which side of the market you're on um but if you have time for one last question, um I did want to ask you what you think, you know, you've been in the, in this business for 25 years. You've taught uh you've been taught by great mentors, you've taught uh people who you said have gone gone on to become successes uh as well. well I
1: didn't teach them. I worked with them. But yeah. <laughs> you worked with them.
0: Yes. Uh, <laughs> fair good good point. Um and uh you've also have a very unique experience as well of being on both sides of you know active in the trading and active in the research, so I guess we can split it into two parts here. But what do you think makes for a successful uh, researcher? And you know, what are the the human characteristics that you the traits that you've seen? Um, and then we can say something similar on the on the trading side.
1: So I think the first thing is curiosity. Uh, curiosity is really important. Um, because it's, you know, it's, um, it's easy to think, oh, it's, it's April again. You know, this is what happens in coffee in April. And this is, but actually, you know, my experience is every year is different. Um, every year, you know, we're looking at some different metrics, you know, when we've, there are certain things we looked at, which were really relevant last year, which, which are no longer relevant. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned before, it's difficult to get, um, sometimes, you know, I think that is a big problem in coffee, that we don't have a consensus on the historical balance sheet. I don't think that's a good thing. Um, I think I think there needs to be more consensus. We don't unfortunately have, um, you know, a, a, a USDA grains type of um, situation where, you know, where you can point to a data series and you can say, well, I don't agree with all of it, but I broadly agree with, with the kind of uh, historical picture. I think that is not i think that is a disadvantage for everybody because you might be right you might have a perfect balance sheet but it makes absolutely no difference if nobody else has one you know um and if nobody else knows what what the real what the real historical kind of underlying balance sheet looks like right. um so so i think um curiosity for sure um and you know just a a desire to k- keep learning and keep looking for um new data. Uh, coffee is one of those things where you know suddenly you do see some data on something that you never saw before. Um, but also I think it's important in coffee to not just look at numbers. Uh, I think it's important to really kind of just speak to people. I, I mean I think that's also yeah you know, I think these are all um you know traits that are important for a trader as well. Mm. Um, you know, connection with the product connection with the pe- people um, sort of understanding that the kind of tangibility of it very, very important. Um, and I think I think particularly on the research side, um, as much as you need somebody who's very analytical, there's a danger of getting very caught up in, let's say, the, an academic approach to something uh, without uh, understanding Um, you know, how and when you should disseminate that information um, to your, your colleagues on the commercial side, for example. Um, So I think that that's another important if to to be a good analyst in, in, in a, you know, in a commodity environment, you you have to know, you know, you have to, to take that step away from, you have to be academic when you're looking at it, but then you have to be you know, sometimes very uh, quick and and uh, nimble about how you how you you know show that information, present it, and when you present it, you know.
0: Well, thank you for that, Anna. Um, I think those are were great answers, and you know, I, I think that it also sort of speaks to a humility um, that um, you know, if you're going to be curious and and nimble, um, you have to really kind of say, okay, I, I'm not necessarily uh <laughs> i don't necessarily know all the answers right now
1: absolutely not i mean i think that's that's one of the big big um advantages that anybody who has had that humility is has understood certain things that have gone on you know during the pandemic during the logistics crisis in a much uh in a much more in a much better way because mm-hmm. you know you have you i mean certainly we had to take the approach of well you know we really need to learn about this because we we need to be able to interpret what's happening i think i think humility is obviously a huge important quality in life but it's particularly important in coffee statistics
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well if you're not humble you will be after you study uh, coffee statistics for a little yeah. while right yeah <laughs> um well uh thank you so much anna uh it's been a pleasure chatting with you um it was um something I've been looking forward to a while and uh, you've fulfilled my wildest expectations. So uh, it's been a great conversation Um, and uh, hopefully we'll get to do it again soon, either on the podcast or uh, at one of the coffee dinners or something. But um, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it.
1: Pleasure's mine. Nice to talk.
0: Thank you for joining our Coffee Trading Academy podcast. Check out the website and subscribe to receive our free and premium coffee market reports. That's www.coffeetradingacademy.com. Again, coffeetradingacademy.com. Good luck with your trading, everyone. This is Ryan Delaney, your coffee price risk ninja here, signing off.